The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Calling out real evil, the left further revealing themselves, a conversation with Ben Shapiro, and remembering John McCain. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for joining us today. This, of course, is the show exclusive to the Blaze where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. We have a jam packed show for you today. I'm so excited, and I want to start with some serious topics because I want to share a bit of mindset of what's going on right now in the world. This is not an American problem. This is not an Irish problem. This is not a European problem. This is a problem the world is facing right now. And that problem is, is that everything is political. Everything is seeked to divide you. It's to pitch you against one another. It is to get you to a point where you look at an issue... You can't just take an issue of the day, whether it's you know a political issue, whether it's a principal issue, and just look at it and kind of go, what do I think? We are now so ingrained through the media and through social media where it's, well, what does the left say is this? What's the right's opinion on this? What's the conservative's opinion? What's the liberal's position on this? And we all look at this as through the eyes of politics. If we are to survive as a generation and as a world, we need to take those glasses off. And we need to stop worrying about what the left says or what the right says or what Republicans or Democrats say. What we need to focus in on and what America has a history of doing is focusing in not right versus left or liberal versus Democrat or liberal versus conservative, but right versus wrong. There are certain things in this world that are right and they are wrong. And it doesn't matter who does them or who acts in a certain way. There is no justification for them. I have heard two people say two things which are pretty much the exact same statements on two different issues be defended by the media. Let's start with the Catholic Church. Pope Francis was in Ireland this week, last week. He gave, it was the world meeting of the families and he gave a, a big sermon. And the big headline from the sermon was, please forgive us. Okay, as Christians, that's what we're called to do. We're called to forgive people. If they ask for forgiveness, we're called to, to forgive them. And the scriptures are very clear on this. You know, how many times should I forgive them? 30 times, 300 times, as many times as you're asked. However, there is also another side to this which we need to address. The side is, should you be forgiven? 
we can discuss that, you know, depending on whether you're a Christian, whether you're a Jew, whether you're an atheist, whether you're a Muslim. That's something we can discuss as society. I would say as a Christian, okay. But it's not a blanket forgiveness. It's not like, oh, please forgive me and we just all forget about this. There are serious issues in the church. And a lot of people have been asked and a lot of people are getting, you know, media attention on what should you do or how should the Pope respond? And I'm not going to play these clips because honestly they'll make your stomach turn. But I'm going to read out some of the transcripts. There's a a cardinal from Chicago who was interviewed. I think it was on NBC. And it's called, his name is Blaise Cupich. And one of the things he said, he said a lot of different things about a lot of different issues. But one of the things he said was, and I quote, This Pope has bigger a bigger agenda. He's got to focus on things like climate change and protecting migrants. And a couple of seconds later, he said, we're not going down a rabbit hole on this. We're not going down a rabbit hole on this. With the greatest of respect, Cardinal, which you deserve none of, by the way. If you don't go down a rabbit hole over protecting kids, what do you go down a rabbit hole over? Look, we have talked about Pope Francis and a lot of other people on climate change and protecting migrants. That's not relevant right now. What we need to do is focus in on one issue. Not what's the left's opinion on what's happening in the Catholic Church. Not what the right's position on it. But what's the right position and what's the wrong position? Is it ever okay to abuse a child? Is it ever okay? If you had to pause and think about that going, hmm, I wonder, is it? Um, I don't know what to say to you. That's one of these questions that you get woken up at 3 a.m. in the morning going, hey, John, wake up. What, 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 what's, what's going on? What time is it? Where am I? Is it ever okay to abuse a child? What? No, no, never. No. Ever. It's a simple, should be a universal truth. But yet we, we go around in circles. We're looking for the left's position. We're looking for the right's position. The media this week on the Catholic Church has been unbelievable. It has truly been astonishing, some of the headlines and some of the articles I have seen on the Catholic Church. You know, one of the things that I am so thankful I am not a liberal Democrat and work in the media because I don't know how I would twist myself into a pretzel. Because to actually work in the media today, you have to twist yourself into a pretzel. Some of the articles I've read this week are, you know, the usual bias. Well, we all hate Christians. You know, there's this Christian privilege. You know, you're all Christians and you think you're so much better than everyone else. But this week it's been... No, 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 no. It's we're, we're not hating on the Catholic Church this week. We're, we're, we're giving that one a rest, the, the media are this week. What they're talking about is is those evil conservatives in the Vatican are, are ready to pounce in, on Pope Francis. You see, this isn't about a singular issue of abuse in the church and whether it's right or wrong. Because if we actually had that debate, I honestly believe 99%, and I'm being generous here, of people would just go, that's wrong. It's just wrong. Can't happen. It's 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 a violation. Forget it's a violation of Catholicism. 
you know, if you actually go through canon law of, of some of these allegations, what it is, it's a violation of, you know, if you're a Catholic and you're a priest, you're not allowed to have sex. So that's the first violation. The second one is, you know, it goes through Catholicism, it goes through Christianity. You know, homosexuality is a no-no. So two strikes. And against kids is three strikes. Three strikes and you're out. It's the whole baseball analogy. But what they have done this week is they're they're talking about, you know, people have called for Pope Francis to resign, and this is conservatives pouncing. The reason they are calling this conservative pouncing is, is because the media, while they hate Christians, while they despise Christians, they like this Pope because they think they can use him. They like when people say, well, you know, this Pope's got a bigger agenda. He's got he's to worry about climate change. They love that. You know, this Pope is soft on LGBT. They love that. So they, they're not talking about the actual issue. They're, they're winding everything up and ma- they're baking a cake. They're throwing everything in together and saying, this is just the way it is. And while we'll bash Christianity all week long, this Pope must be saved. We need to start focusing in on good and evil. And it doesn't matter who does it. It does not matter. I don't, we can agree and disagree on what's really important in society. Like, we might disagree on tax policy, for example. Okay, cool. But there are certain things we have to come together and say, these are consistent. If I may use the words of your founders, these are eternal principles, inalienable rights. These things never change. There are certain acts in this world that should never, ever be, mm, well, I understand, understand, no. Child abuse is one of those. Child abuse is one of those. There are many in my book. But we should be able to come together and go, that's evil. And if someone in my church, in my community, in my political party does this, I will stand against them and say, that is wrong. Second thing on the Catholic Church, before we get to the other example, which is just unbelievable. One of the common themes I have heard, because I've read a lot of, of media this week, because the the World Meeting of Families and Pope Francis was in Ireland, and that was a really big deal, because the Pope hasn't been in Ireland, I think, in 40 years, or 39 years, to be precise. So there was a lot of media attention, and there was a lot of Catholics interviewed, and they were very prominent in the media. And one of the things, I heard this justification. Look, no one's saying what those priests did is right. But, you know, we can't always be victimized as the Catholic Church. Because this happens everywhere. There are families who abuse kids. There are parents who do it. You know, this this just isn't a Catholic Church issue. This is a world issue. Okay. Why... Do we have to justify bad behavior? You know, I, I don't know how you all grew up, but, you know, if I, when I was growing up, if I was playing with someone and, you know, we all got in trouble and I pointed my finger at someone and went, oh, it was all them or, or they did a lot worse than me, I would get more punishment as a, as a child growing up. That, that excuse never flied with my parents or in the society I hung around with. Why does it hang? Why does it have justification and merit today? Oh well, everyone does it. 
So here's my frustration thing as a Christian. We are supposed to hold ourselves to a higher standard. If you are actually a Christian, let me just speak to you, whether you're a Christian or not, let me just speak to you from this point of view. As a Christian, you are supposed to hold yourself to the highest standard in society possible. Why? Because you claim, and I I am a Christian, but I'm just going to say this from a non-Christian point of view. You claim you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you have his Gospels to live by. You have his examples, you have his rules. You have the Old Testament, which we share with our Jewish brothers and sisters. You have the roadmap for life. If you think the justification, well, everyone does it, is okay, then that really is a major problem for your faith in 2018. We are supposed to hold ourselves to a higher account. Because if we don't hold ourselves to a higher account, I'm not saying that we're better than everyone else. I want to be very crystal clear. I mean in a responsibilities, a duty point of view, an honor point of view. This is not saying, well, Christians are are looking down on everyone. I don't believe in that. I believe we are all created equal. Christians, Jews, atheists, Muslims, Buddhists, everything. But we are supposed to hold ourselves to a higher standard. And we should not be lowering the bar to, well, everyone does it in society, or this is, you know, there are other people who do this in society. Yeah, and they're wrong too. But you know the difference about some of those people? Some of those people don't claim Jesus Christ as their Savior. Some of those people have never read scriptures. We have to hold ourselves to the highest standard possible. And I say this, this is also apt for life. You know, the idea of life and the idea of America was setting the bar really, really high. Not setting a low bar that, you know, well, that's what everyone else does. That was not the fundamental foundation of America. If America did what everyone else did, you would have a democracy. You'd have some type of socialism world government. You wouldn't have inalienable rights. You wouldn't have your Declaration of Independence. America has never been about, well, that's what everyone else does. America has always been, I don't care what everyone else does. I want to find out what is right. And I don't mean right in a right versus left. I mean in a right versus wrong. If we don't sort this out and actually get to a point where we can distinguish between right and wrong and agree to it regardless of who does it, there are no sacred cows, or there shouldn't be. There is no, well, you know, I'm a Catholic, I, I, I'm against this, but if a Catholic does it, I'm fine. Or, well, I'm a Republican, John, if I'm, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm against this, but if a Republican does it, you know, I'll be okay with it. No! We need everyone to call out their own side, and especially their own side. Which brings me to despicable comment number two. This is slightly older. I didn't get to this last on last week's show because this is a truly disgusting comment and it is very eerily similar to what the bishop said. Elizabeth Warren was on CNN last week. And yet again, we cannot talk about a singular issue without muddying the water with about 10,000 different issues. I'm sure if you're listening to me, you listen to an awful lot of talk radio. You've heard of Molly Tibbetts and what happened to that 
sweet young girl. When she was on CNN, and she said, while she feels sorry for the family and her community, we've got to tackle real problems like family separation. Yet again, another person talking about real problems. We cannot talk about one issue in its, in its singularity and say, is it right or wrong? No, we have to muddy the waters. We have to you know, look for the left's position and the right's position and the justification on it and the attacks. This is not left versus right. This is right versus wrong. We have real problems to tackle in this world. Child abuse is one. Murder is another. If you target anyone, and I mean anyone, just for kicks and giggles or whatever reason you decide to, you know, hey, I'm going to murder someone, just for fun, that person is totally innocent, society should say that's wrong. There is no justification on this. At a time when America is divided, these are some of the issues we should, y'all should be able to come together on and go, this is common sense. This is common sense. What happened to Molly Tibbetts is wrong. What happened to Molly Tibbetts is wrong. And it should not happen. Now, we can talk about other issues from it. We can talk about illegal immigration. We've done that on this show at length. We can talk about the right to bear arms, the Second Amendment. We've talked about that as well. We need to get to a point where we start talking about right versus wrong. Because if we don't, our world is in big trouble. And if you are a person who believes in freedom... And you believe in an idea of a better tomorrow. Let me say this. You should hold yourself to the highest standard possible. In America, I think the highest standard possible is the George Washington standard. Because here's my fear right now, and I'm going to share a fear with you. My fear in society right now, I am so optimistic for the future. And I'll talk to you about that in in the next segment and in the upcoming shows. I am so positive for what our future holds. I am so positive of the freedom movement, of where we actually will become full circle once again and freedom will be cool again. I believe you're seeing the rising of some new leaders. We're going to be speaking to one of those later on in the show, Ben Shapiro. I am so positive about our brighter tomorrow. If we work at it, and if we're willing to sacrifice for us, we have the roadmap of, for success. It's the roadmap your founders used. It is the roadmap of freedom, of individual rights, of government not giving rights, but protecting those rights. But my one big fear is everything becomes left versus right. And we don't call out evil. And in the justification of evil, all the good voices go away. 
If we live in 2018, who are the voices who are going to stand up, regardless of who the evil perpetrator is, who are consistently standing for good? Who are the voices who are going to be principled, who are not going to be about their opinion, but who will call the call a spade a spade, call an apple an apple, and not do it out of malice, but do it to highlight evil, to call out evil, and to show a way forward. If nobody does that, then all my hope for the future just vanishes. We must be the generation. We must be the set of people who call together and stand together and say, these are eternal truths. This is what we believe in. And it doesn't matter who violates them. Even if it's someone in my, on our side, that does not make a wrong any less wrong. We must stand And we must stand, not for man, because man is inherently flawed. Unless you can show me someone who is perfect. But stand for principles. Principles which are eternal. They were true 2,000 years ago. They were true at your founding. They're true today. And they will be true in 1,000 years, 2,000 years, 5,000 years from now. We must be the generation that makes freedom cool again. That makes just leaving people alone cool again. That says to society, you know what? There are no limits in this life. I don't care whether you're black or white, gay or straight, male or female. If you want to do something, go do it. You're not guaranteed success, but you're not guaranteed failure either. That you are successful or you fail on your merits. That there is no one holding you back. There is no one dragging you down. And that we encourage people. Be you. I believe in the individual. I believe that the individual, while flawed, knows what's best for them. And if we start speaking out for it and calling evil, evil and good, good, and actually living that life, my God, there is nothing that can stop us. Nothing. Because this is not me saying this. This is not John's idea. This is not my you grand utopia where I can claim, hey, if you just listen to me, some crazy Irish guy, I'll lead you to the salvation. No. I'm saying follow your founders. Because those principles worked. There's a reason America is exceptional. There is a reason your idea changed the world. All you have to do is follow those principles again. All you have to do is believe in them again. And if you start living the life of George Washington, of John Adams, of Thomas Jefferson, of James Madison, if you start living in their footsteps, my God, you will thrive again and we will all benefit. Because let me remind you of one very critical thing. July 2nd, 1776, when they were all signing their death warrant in the Declaration of Independence, freedom wasn't exactly cool then either. Freedom wasn't cool then. 
There were a lot of people who were not happy with that document. There were a lot of people who just wanted to, don't rock the boat. There were a lot of people who were pro-Hessian, pro-Union. But look at what happens. It doesn't matter what you do when things are cool. It matters what you do when things are not cool. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. If you hear yourself saying, feels pretty good to see somebody rub their nose in it, you may be addicted to outrage. We've expressed our outrage at everyone and everything that is different. Every thumbs up is like a dopamine surge and every retweet is a serotonin hit. In my new book, Addicted to Outrage, we bring clarity to this addiction. If enough of us can just drop our anger and outrage, we might just stand a chance to heal ourselves. Addicted to Outrage by Glenn Beck. Pre-order now at glennbeck.com slash addicted to outrage. Freedom's Disciple On Demand On the Blaze Radio Network Thank you so much for sticking with me, America As always, we're on every major platform out there SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Omni FM, Player FM, and CastBox we're growing each and every week, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your constant support and for sharing it with your family and friends. We release a new episode every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. Please consider keep sharing it. We want to keep growing. We want to share a positive message with as many people as possible. One of the reasons I'm so confident about the future is is because you were starting to see the left, quote-unquote, the Democrats, the media, really start to reveal who they are. And I always am happy when people reveal who they are, even if it's the most ugliest person possible, because then at least you can start having honest conversations. If we actually start talking principles and actually talking about principles of freedom again, we have a major opportunity in front of us. And I don't mean opportunity as in what do you think the Republicans will hold the House in 2018 and the Senate? And do you think Trump will get reelected? In no, I'm not talking about any elections. I'm talking about something we need to do before we win elections, and that's actually start winning some arguments. We need to start winning some conversations with our family, with our friends, with our community, and getting an unum again. That is what made America exceptional, where every other nation was brotherhood. America was e pluribus unum. I want to share some stories with you that the left have started to share over the last two weeks. And show you where, if you believe in freedom and you're not looking to make things political, you can make some major, major inroads. The first one is Chicago. What is going on in Chicago is truly, truly horrific. This is not about politics. Because what will happen is, if you make this about politics and all the Democratic mayors and and all the other people involved and all the Democrats... Everyone will just go back to their shell. If we actually go into Chicago and have honest conversations about, you know what? You should not be a victim. You should not live in fear. Chicago is a great city. It's the windy city. It's beautiful. I've spent some time there. I enjoy it. I like 
Cold Stone Pizza. Chicago-style pizza. I love it. It's awesome. Chicago is a beautiful, beautiful city. And its people are good people. But if we make things about left and right, and this is why gun control doesn't work, and I get those arguments that need to be made, but we need to change how we share them. Because everyone looks, will go to their Democratic camp and to the Republican camp, and nothing will change. Second story I want to share with you is a story from Brown University. If you haven't read the story, I strongly suggest you do. Basically what happened was a professor there who, I'm, I don't know her, their politics, I'm going to make a shot in the dark guess and say they're not conservative. And they did a study on transgenderism and gender dysphoria. And one of the things this study found out, and even if you read the the actual study, you'll see the author is at great pains to like say, look, you know, these results are these results, but you know, we need to do more evidence. It's quite clear by the writing that they're not happy with the outcome of what this study said. And one of the things it said was that, you know, well, people of young age you know, if they're hanging around and, you know, they, when they have a, a transgender friend, they're more likely to be open to it. And, you know, if they're more active on social media, they're more open to it. It's because this blows the myth of, well, you're just born in the wrong body. Well, this report was published and then it was actually told, no, we can't publish this because it will offend some of the transgender community and we can't have that now if you actually make this about politics and about well that's just the liberals for you and that's just progressivism and you'll lose if we actually make have a honest conversation of hey do we believe in science or do we not do we actually live and believe in let's follow the evidence Let's follow the evidence, and where the evidence leads, the evidence leads. If that happens to be on the quote-unquote left side, okay. If that happens to be on the right side, okay. But let's follow the facts. Let's not ban, you know, studies. Even if they're flawed. You know, Stephen Hawking is one of the most revered people who ever lived. You know, he's so famous, he's so intellectual, he's so awesome. How Stephen Hawking got famous was he wrote a report, or wrote a book, a thesis. And then his second book was disproving everything he wrote. That is effectively how he became famous. That is the way science is supposed to work. You're supposed to put stuff out there and kind of go, okay, listen, this is I've done this research, and this is the, the, the idea I've come up with, and this is this is this is my analysis, prove me wrong. And then someone else will come along and go, ah, this is where you're wrong, you did this and you did this. And you needed to do ABC. And then they'll put out their study and then someone else will peer review that. And that's how we get better as a society. If we get to a point where we can actually start looking at right versus wrong and truth versus lies and not looking at sides, we will progress an amazing amount very quickly. The, that You do have that in your capabilities. But this story will be made political. And everyone will retreat to their sides and nothing will happen. 
Because the reason I'm sharing these stories with you is if you can actually just remove the politics of it, the Democrats and Republicans from it, most Americans will go, that's wrong. You don't ban a survey on, or a, report, a study on someone's feelings or their potential hurt. It's science. And even if you do get your feelings, so, you know, toughen up, buttercup. That's most Americans. Some of the other stories. A couple of weeks ago, Chris Como gave a, a speech because he's running for governor of New York and he's running against a, a famous actress, apparently, Sex in the City. I can't even... Uh, Nixon is her name. I can't remember. You know who I'm talking about. And she's quite radical. Cynthia Nixon. She's quite radical. And he came out and said America was never great. Again, forget Chris Cuomo, forget Republicans and Democrats, forget left versus right. Mainstream America does not believe this. I know a lot of Democrats who love their country. They We disagree on a lot of different things, but they love their country. When you ha- make things political, left versus right, you tend to think your God and the op- their enemy, the opposition, is Satan. And there is no good characteristics about them. Our side is perfect. They're dreadful. If you can actually get past this and actually talk about these stories, forget who said it. It's not about Chris Cuomo. Hey, do you believe America was never great? I know a lot of Democrats would say yes. I know a lot of Democrats who've served in the military would say yes. Next story. Remember, we were talking about Molly Tibbetts, the the young lady who got murdered? Well, I read an op-ed, which honestly made me really angry. It made me nearly as angry as listening to Elizabeth Warren and that bishop, that cardinal from Chicago. And all, that op-ed basically said that Molly Tibbetts wasn't murdered because of illegal immigration. It was the patriarchy. It was man not knowing when no was no. So that's the problem. Who in America, forget the politics, will go, that makes total sense. I get there's about 5, 10, 15. Let me even give the people who always overestimate, John, Bernie Sanders. Okay, let me give you all Bernie Sanders' quote. 25% of Americans believe that. Okay. 75% 75% don't. Which do you want to focus in on? Then there was the other stories. An op-ed in the New York Times this week. Talking about feminism and hailing Stormy Daniels as some type of fem- feminist icon. That she was taking power away from the man. Who in America thinks, you know what? You're a porn star. You get paid to have sex on screen. You're just as good and as important to feminism as someone else. Is there anyone, any real feminist that would go, yeah, that's that's totally who we're going to side with. We're going to side because we're trying to take down the man, quote unquote. And we're trying to get, you know, equal pay for equal work. And you have all these slogans. But we're totally supportive of the the porn star being totally a hero. 
Again, I'm sharing these stories with you just because to highlight the left, quote-unquote, are showing who they really are. And if we keep making things political, nothing will change. But if we actually start think, taking the politics out of it and saying, hey, do you really agree with that? Is Stormy Daniels really your icon? Most Americans are going, she's about as much an icon as Monica Lewinsky. And that's on both sides of the aisle. One of the more troubling stories that came out this week was, I believe, a debate on ESPN. I didn't watch. I just heard about it. So Tiger Woods was playing golf, and it's great to see him play golf again. And It's just it's, it's good for the support. It's good for the sport, and it's, it's just good to see. It's a good comeback story. And he was asked to say some negative things about Donald Trump, and he refused. In fact, one of his one of his quotes, he was given an open-ended question. Hey, you know, Tiger, you know, any comments on race relations in America? Totally open-ended question. Could have said anything he wanted. His answer, I thought, was awesome. Nah, I just played 72 holes and I'm hungry. It's awesome. Tiger, kudos to you. But there was a debate on ESPN. Is Tiger really black? Now, as someone who's been a golf supporter a very long time, I'm old enough that I actually remember watching Tiger win his first major. I remember seeing this young, young black kid just do things that were astonishing and having nerves of steel and just watching him grow and grow and watching the aura of... If he's winning a major after 54 holes, it's done. Don't bother tuning in Sunday. You still did to see him win, but you just knew it was over. We're now having a conversation. Well, is he really black? Which leads me to an honest question. What is the aim for society when it comes to stars, to superstars? So two questions. First of all, what does society want them to do? And let me use someone who I absolutely love, right, close to home. I, and let me use an older player. I am the world's biggest A-Rod fan. I'm not saying this to wind, you know, a few people up, but I'm just making a point, right? My mother knows more about A-Rod's personal life than I do. I don't care. I watched A-Rod play baseball. I loved watching him play baseball. I thought he was fantastic. I thought he was a great third baseman, a great power, great stroke. I could watch it all day long. When it comes to Alex Rodriguez's opinion, and I'm a fan to this day, by the way. I love his analysis on, on Sunday Night Baseball. I love watching some clips of him in the studios. He has done some great interviews with people like Pete Rose, you know, on hitting and just learning different things. He's a student of the game. I actually think he'd make a really good coach one day when he, when things settle down. But you can clearly see he loves the game. I, I love A-Rod. They're, he was one of my favorite player for a long period of time. It's now Aaron Judge because A-Rod's retired. I'm not looking to A-Rod. I, I wonder how A-Rod votes. I don't care. I wonder, is A-Rod a Republican or a Democrat? I don't care. Gee, I, I wonder what A-Rod thinks on, about race relations in America in 2018. 
I don't care. Go hit a baseball, or in this case, go do some great interviews that I can watch about the analysis of a hitting or a, you know, pitcher's analysis or what you're thinking about when you're in the box. You know, what you think about when you just missed your pitch. You know, what's what you know, what's the pitcher gonna throw me now in a three two count? That's what I want to hear about A Rod. Or Aaron Judge. I want Aaron Judge to get healthy. Get his wrist healthy, get back in the Yankees lineup and go on a pennant run. Do I care about what Aaron Judges thinks about Donald Trump, whether he loves him or hates him? No. Why does is this part of your culture where every sports personality, you all go to them, I wonder, I wonder what they think. Like they're some type of expert. And that their, their words hold some type of meaning. They're a sports star. Their opinion means just as much as mine and just as much as yours. But the second question on Tiger Woods, and I'll also link Serena Williams in this. What is the aim for society, for those who see race as a problem? When I see Tiger Woods today, if you said to me, describe Tiger Woods, I would say, in my opinion, the best golfer to ever play the game. Or, at the very least, in the top two. Because there will be some people who go, well, he hasn't won 18 majors. It's still Jack Nicholas until he gets that. Okay. That's a debate we can have another time. But that's how I would describe him. The best golfer ever. Isn't that the aim? That we live in a society. Isn't that a good thing where we live in a society where we don't, where we see a black man succeed and we're not like, hey, there's a black man succeeding. Wow, he, he, you know, he, he's black. I don't care. Does it matter? Or should it be a case where all we see is race? Where, you know, we have to highlight, is well, is Tiger really black? Is he 25% black? Is he 50% black? Is he half black? Is he fully black? What is the aim in society? Lastly, one of the most embarrassing stories I saw this week... And I've no doubt the Daily Mail ran this for clickbait. And I have no doubt they got it. Because every word I've heard has talked about this. There's a company and, you know, free markets and they have a right to do this. And I'm not saying this is wrong. Look, you do you and I'll do me. The great thing about freedom is you can run your life and do your life ever how you want. But the idea of men wearing bras and panties and women liking it too. Well, again, you do you and I'll do me. It ain't going to be on me, that's for sure. Why did I share all these stories with you? I share these stories with you because if we can focus in on truth, this is the left showing themselves who they really are. You're seeing this in the primaries, if I may get political for 30 seconds. You're seeing this in America in the primaries. It's not the moderate Democrats who are winning, quote-unquote. It's all the democratic socialists. We need to have honest debate. And it's not about democratic socialism versus the Republican Party. If you make it that, you will lose. Because this Republican Party has nothing good about it. And if it has anything good, it's very limited. If you make it about the idea of America, if you make it about the Constitution, if you make it about federalism and limited governments, 
through Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, where you debate Article 2 powers, where the presidency pretty much has no powers. If you make it where everything else that's not in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution is left to the power of the states. If you actually make it about principles, our future is so bright. If we can just stop getting over the outrages and over the left-right divide. Well, what's the left's opinion on this? What's the right opinion on this? What is the correct opinion on this? What is the principle? Because the left are starting to show who they are. And I have to believe that the vast majority of Americans, if we can make a solid argument to them based around principles, will see this and go, that ain't me. That ain't me. Or we can keep making things about political. And what will happen is Democrats will side with Democrats because, well, they're the lesser of two evils. And we just can't have those evil Republicans in there. It's up to you, America, how you act. Don't go anywhere, because when we come back, it's the part you've all been waiting for. Not to hear from me, but to hear from the awesome Ben Shapiro. Don't go anywhere, America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Disciple on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with us, America. And now, the part you've been waiting for. I'm so honored and privileged to, to speak to one of the most respected, most well um, spoken people in the conservative movement. He is right up there with Glenn Beck for me, the one and only Ben Shapiro. Thank you so much for joining us, Ben. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So I want to talk to you about something different. You you spend a lot of time. I'm a big fan of your podcast, and as you say, it's the most the, loud, the quickest growing and most growing conservative podcast out there. You sp- spend a lot of time focusing in on the issues of the day. But what what I do on this show is I talk about principles. So I actually would like to start with you about American history, because for me, not enough people talk about American history and truly understand why it's exceptional. So for you, what do you? Why is America exceptional to you? Why is it an exceptional? nation. America is an exceptional nation because of our founding principles. So all the talk about how powerful we are, how much we've helped other nations, all of that is a secondary effect of the fact that we are founded on a basic idea that human beings are created with God-given rights that are inalienable and that a limited government is created by those people through a policy of consent in order to protect those rights. And if those rights are ever violated by the government, the government loses its basic legitimacy. That, That concept has been the foundation for the entire edifice that is the United States. And that foundation has also taken into account the fact that human beings were made free so that they could be virtuous. So it was the idea of a social fabric that promoted virtue combined with governmental freedom that allowed the flourishing of free markets, private property, communities, and uh, and the strongest country in the history of the world. Absolutely. And I think you, you hit on something there because the, the idea of pursuing your own happiness and being able to keep the fruits of your own labor and to keep um, 
you know, your private property. What, how can people, and I don't mean this in a left-right point of view or a Republican conservative point of view, I mean, how can people explain, to, how can we explain to people today who are like, you know what, Nordic-style socialism is, it's okay. How can we explain it in such a way as, as someone who lives in Ireland, I do this an awful lot, but how can we reach young people and say, that is not the way forward, that this idea that you can control your own destiny, and if you make it, you get to enjoy those fruits. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the thing to remember is that in a free country, things are harder very often. A free country is about the idea that you're going to rise or fall based on your own will, your own labor, your own ideas. And that's risky. It's a lot riskier than the idea that you're living in a social welfare state that's going to protect you against the vicissitudes of life. But it also means there's a lot more upside. And that's always been the truth in the United States, which is why it's the most powerful economy in the history of the world by an extraordinary margin, because the United States bargain was always that the most creative people, the people who are risk seekers, were going to come here and then were going to seek risk. They were going to take those risks in order to make their lives better. Uh, They were going to forge out on their own. That's sort of the American spirit people talk about. You can have a, a system that lasts for a certain amount of time in which capitalism is the defining feature of an economy, but a bunch of socialist infrastructure is piled on top of it. Uh, today on my show, uh, I sort of compared it to a clown on stilts, the stilts being capitalism, the clown being the socialist programs on top of it. That can last for a certain amount of time. It can't last indefinitely, and if you make the clown too heavy, then the stilts crumble. So if, if you like what Norway looks like, you have to recognize that Norway is basing that on exorbitantly high taxes, an enormous oil slush fund, uh, and a declining amount of social capital as fewer and fewer people are in the workforce and as the, the work ethic that made Norway prosperous in the first place is being undermined by the social welfare ethic that Norway is promoting. It's easy to look at places as sort of a moment in time. The question is, how durable is that system? How long can it last in the absence of growth, in the absence of risk-seeking, and in the absence of the protection of private property and the profit motive? Absolutely. And if you look at the idea of America, you know, one of the frustrating things for me is I I say this time and time again, I say, pick any part of society and which don't let me influence you, you know, whether it's travel, whether it's communication, whether it's food, whether it's medicine, any part and look at the advancements from the time of Christ to 1800s and then from 1800 to 200, 2018. Why have we advanced so much in 218 years compared to the prior 1800 years? I would say, and I argue, that's a large chunk because of America, because that idea comes first. Would you agree? No question. I mean, if you look at what made the world prosperous, it is this idea of free markets and private property combined with a limited government that is there to protect those things. I will say that I think that there also has to be that element of of social fabric and virtue that is a holdover from a Judeo-Christian era. And one of the big problems with sort of the the Enlightenment, the the benefit of the Enlightenment is the the idea that human beings are rational actors who ought to be free to pursue their economic interest uh, and who ought to be free from government compulsion in matters of the heart and matters of religion. Yeah, that that's the good side of the Enlightenment. The bad side of the Enlightenment is that sometimes people use that as an excuse to forget about the cultivation of virtue. And without a virtuous citizenry, freedom ends up kind of decaying into libertinism or alternatively into a belief that you can use your reason to restructure society in radical ways. And that's been sort of the legacy of the 19th and 20th centuries. Virtuous populations that are left free end up becoming incredibly prosperous and drive the prosperity of the entire world. Non-virtuous populations that are left free end up in, in social decay and populations that are not left free end up in, in gulags. 
Awesome. So let's fast forward to sort of more modern day um, questions. I have a question for you um, because you're, you know, you've studied law and I would just love to give you a scenario of what I would have done and just tell me why this wouldn't work or what the problems are. Do you remember the whole Obamacare debate and it goes before the Supreme Court? Of course. I'm, the, I'm the, the, the lawyer, God help America if I'm the lawyer, but I, I love your constitution and I've studied it. I go and I present one piece of evidence. Your Honor, the piece of ed- evidence is Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. If you find health care in any of those 18 clauses, we can come back and talk. I rest my case. Why doesn't that work? Or how can I mean, the only reason that I mean, it should work, but the only reason it doesn't is because constitutional interpretation in the United States has had very little to do with the Constitution for several decades here. We've now read rights into the Constitution that don't exist, duties into the Constitution that do not exist. And that's a serious problem. The government was never meant to be this large. It was a government of enumerated powers. We far exceeded those enumerated powers. And unfortunately, the checks and balances system that was supposed to reign in government has failed in a lot of ways. The founders is interesting. The founders basically bet that the biggest problem facing America was going to be ambitious politicians grabbing power. And it turns out that one of the biggest problems facing America is not ambitious politicians grabbing power, but a group of politicians who are willing to allow others to grab power so long as they keep getting elected to their kind of cush positions. And so what you've seen in the United States in terms of how our government structure works is that Congress has almost become a vestigial organ of of government, providing some checks to the executive, but the executive is by far the most active part of the American government. And even when Congress does pass a law, they tend to pass these very long omnibus packages that nobody's ever read, and then it's up to the executive to implement. Okay, so how do we get back to, or sorry, not we, I can't say I'm not an American. How do you get back to the, the future, to going back to the Constitution, especially with regards to the Supreme Court, to getting back to, if it's not in Article 1, Section uh, Section 8, if it's not in Section 2, Article 2, power for the presidency, it's just automatically unconstitutional. It doesn't matter whether it's the most moral principle or the most, you know, with the best intentions, it violates the Constitution. What can people do to get to that point? Or as Americans, America just totally gone past it. Um, I think that that the only thing that we can do is uh, point to the fact that partisanship is so high and that we all hate our politicians and say, wouldn't it be better if these people didn't matter? And this is one of the, uh, I think, main points that I wish the left would take from the Trump presidency is if you really dislike President Trump, if you're really scared of President Trump, if you hated George W. Bush and you were scared of George W. Bush, and I dislike Barack Obama and I was scared of some of the stuff Obama was doing. If all of that is the case, then maybe the problem isn't whoever is in power alone. Maybe the problem is that the government has centralized this much power in the first place, and we'd all be better off leaving each other alone. Absolutely. And you, you've made actually one point, and I, I listen to as much radio and I read radio, but over the last week or so, you've made a point a couple of times in your show, and I'd love you to expand upon it, because it's really important and it's really critical. The founders kind of wanted pe- presidents to be impeached. There's this idea yeah. when I talk to people today, it's like, oh, you can't impeach president. And it, it's not even forget Trump. This is not about Donald Trump. This is just general. You can't impeach a president. It's the worst thing going. You're one of the only people, the only person I have heard, but I'm sure there are a few others who've raised this. Would you expand upon that? Why the, why the founders set that up? So, so the founders set up impeachment as the only check on the presidency. There's no ability to really criminally prosecute the president of the United States. And that means that when the president actually violates the law, they were expecting that people were going to be pretty robust in their attempt to, to oust the president. Uh, the party system basically overthrew all of that, where members of a particular party had more loyalty to the person in power than to the institution of the legislature. But there is some pretty you know, hot and heavy debate in the Constitutional Convention about 
how often impeachment was to be used, what was the standard to be for impeachment. And what they came up with when they said high crimes and misdemeanors is something that goes so much to the nature of the office that the person has to be impeached. But then over the course of time, it's been used you know, a very, very minute amount. And when it is used, it generally fails. It's become a political tool. I think the founders originally wanted it to be instead a tool of, of checks and balances between the branches. So, you know, in, in my opinion, I, I think a lot more presidents, not, not fewer presidents, should probably have been impeached over time. Um, but that, that said, you know, it, because it is a political tool and because it has a political definition, the chances that, for example, Obama was ever going to be impeached by a Democratic Congress were already incredibly low. The chances that Trump will ever be impeached by a Republican Congress are really low which means that this all just becomes part of the woodwork. And the safest thing for Congress to do at this point is just wait for the next election cycle. Perfect. So moving on to another issue, and it's an issue that annoys me with conservatives the most, immigration reform. So I'm an Irishman. I've waited. I don't know. I'm sure you don't know who I am, but I've waited in line 14 years to get into your country. Last year, I had a job offer from Glenn Beck, went through the visa process, and basically we found out because I don't have a college degree and because I don't have work experience doing what exactly research for him, I couldn't get it. My biggest frustration, and I've spoken to people on the Hill, I've given this. Remember when Obama had the, the illegal immigrant at the State of the Union? I would have had a conservative yeah. guest say, here's someone who waited in line 10 years. Even, this is not about me, by the way. This is just in general. Here's someone who waited in line 10 years, paid $10,000 to get the American dream, and they've been successful. Why do conservatives never, ever highlight? There's about 3.5 million people, according to Heritage, waiting in line. We never get a mention. Illegal immigrants, yep. they're dreamers, they are acting noble. You even This is from conservatives. They acted out of love from Jeb Bush. They, they're there to pick lettuce. People like me who want to do things the right way, who love your nation, never mention. On conservative media, don't talk about MSNBC, conservative media. What can we do to change that? You know, I think that, that this actually highlights a pretty significant debate that's been going on inside the Republican Party with regard to legal immigration. And that's the part that people don't actually want to talk about. There are some members of the Republican Party who are actually very much against legal immigration in general because they suggest that this is going to undercut the domestic labor force if we bring in people who are legal immigrants who want to join the country. I've never been in that opinion. I think that, you, that that's the battle that has to be fought first and foremost. And then, you know, saying that folks should go to the back of the line if they're illegal immigrants, I think that's pretty obvious. I think that if you, if you came into the country illegally, you didn't follow our rules, then you going to the back of the line makes perfect sense. Um, but, you know, the, the problem is that I think that there's a feeling that there's a cynical move being made by some members of the Republican Party to say illegal immigrants go to the back of the line, but really we don't want anyone in. And I think that you have to make a stark and loud distinction between legal immigrants and illegal immigrants. The fact that, that people on the right have failed to do that, or at least some people on the right have failed to do that, I think is a big mistake. Absolutely. And one of the other big of my frustration, and this is, includes President Trump because he was out all last week talking about you know the immigration system is broken, we need new laws. I'm of the opinion you don't need any new laws. You actually don't need immigration reform. What you actually need to do is actually enforce the immigration laws on your books because you've got clear laws with regards to visas. Now, you may not like the quotas or you may not like the things. Then you might want to change them, but you don't need new laws to, to solve illegal immigration. You know, you have all the laws. If you violate, if I go over as a visitor, which I do regularly, I have 90 days. If I'm not out 90 days, I know I can be fined, put in jail, and deported. And I also know that I can be, de I can be stopped access, granted access to America for 10 years. I signed that waiver um, on a computer now when I, go in, when I go to fly into your country. So you have all the laws on the books. What, how can we get that message out there? And uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I think that, 
the, the problem is that the issue has been demagogued so much that when you say enforce the laws on the books, everybody on the left immediately says, what, you mean deport 12 million people? And the answer is, well, no, because nobody actually wants to enforce the laws on the books. This is the, this is the great lie about immigration. You know, we, we can enforce the laws on the books, and I think we should accel- accelerate the acceptance of people who are coming across the border illegally. But the truth is, Republican, Democrat, nobody actually wants to enforce the laws on the books with regard to illegal immigration. President Trump doesn't want to. right? No, no, nobody actually wants to. And that's why they talk about restructuring of law. But the truth is you can't restructure the law until we actually have a basic agreement on what we want to do with all of these folks. It's always seemed to me that first priority would be ensuring that legal immigrants get into the country legally, that we deport all criminals, uh, and that we then move toward deporting people or at least making them wait in line for citizenship. And we do a one-on, you know, when it comes to illegal immigration, I think that they should have to go through the same rigorous process that legal immigrants go through in terms of, do we actually want you in the country or not? And you, either, and you don't get a leg up just because you're in the country. If you're in the country, you, you have exactly the same standards as my wife did when she immigrated to America. And if you don't fulfill those standards, you don't get to stay. Awesome. So then just looking forward to the future. So we're in a culture right now where we are buying, the, or so many people are buying this argument. I know you don't. This lesser of two evils. America was never founded on that lesser of two evils. If they bought that, they would have might said, you know what, let's just get rid of Hutchinson um, in the, the, the mayor of Boston. That's, that's our compromise. They went and they, 56 of them put their life and their name on a death warrant for an idea. How do we get past, I'm not saying people should sign a death warrant and you know, sign a new declaration of independence or any type of revolution like that, but how do we get to a point where we stop this lesser of two our evils, but also that we start talking principles once again? You know, I think that it's going to require some effort on both sides. So first of all, it's going to require for the left to actually stop suggesting that everyone they disagree with is a Nazi. The longer they do that, the more we start saying, okay, you're calling me a Nazi, you're now threatening my in-group, and that justifies me doing pretty much anything to stop you. So the left needs to stop with that nonsense. And then the right needs to stop suggesting that people who disagree with us or who dislike President Trump, that they are all traitors with malintent who want to destroy the country. But I'm not sure any of this is going to happen until we actually have a return to certain basic ideas of what the country ought to be. Right now, the biggest problem that we have is that a huge number of Americans don't actually understand what made America great in the first place to bring this first circle full circle. And if you don't understand what made America great in the first place, we don't actually have a basic agreement on what we want America to look like. There was a a basic idea in the 1950s that we all sort of wanted the same things. We wanted to raise our kids without being bothered by the government. We wanted to be free to own our own property. We wanted to have a thriving economy. And then there were arguments on the margins about what top tax rates should be, what government programs should look like. Instead, right now, it looks like one side wants to transform the country. I mean, this is what Barack Obama said. And the other side wants to make America great again. And that's a pretty significant difference in mind. Until that can be crossed, that's going to be a continuing problem, this lesser of two evils issue. Uh, and that begins with acknowledging that, that folks on the other side, particularly folks on the left, are going to have to acknowledge this of people on the right, that folks on the right are not just evil pieces of garbage with bad intent who hate black people and gay people and, and poor people. If they keep saying that, then folks on the right are going to predictably respond saying, you're my enemy and whatever I need to do to stop you is justified. So how does people, you know, what would your advice be to the, to the average person out there to, that really loves America, you know, that wants to change it, love, you know, understands the real meaning of America? What would your advice be to them if you could say, here, I would do this if I were you. This is what I would invest my time in. I mean, live a virtuous life and talk to your neighbors. I mean, frankly, if everybody lived a virtuous life and talked to their neighbors, I think that would solve 90% of our problems. But it seems like we've, we've taken all of our anger and all of our frustration, we've poured it into politics instead of pouring it into good works and demonstrating to our neighbors that we're trustworthy 
and that we can all live together. The, the reason that people feel a necessity for government is because they want to force somebody else to do something. If people are, are generally seeing each other as brothers as opposed to enemies, uh, that's going to radically change how, how even the nature of government is, is done. Okay, awesome. So just to finish up, we've got a, a couple of quick questions for you. They're yes or no or very simple questions. For me, two questions. One, your favorite founding father and why? Um, hmm. uh, well, growing up, it was always John Adams because I had watched 1776 and, and grew up on it. Uh, now, you know, I think there's – I, I do love a lot of the writings of Thomas Jefferson. Uh, it, it's hard not to say George Washington uh, because George Washington legitimately is a heroic figure. Um, but there, there are a lot of fantastic founding fathers. Uh, James Madison is a very underrated founding father. There are a bunch who are just terrific. I agree. Actually, just on a side point, this wasn't one of my questions planned. I'm actually working on something to make an argument that George Washington was your best ever president. Just yeah, on the I think, basis I think, of that, would you say that's ludicrous or not? No, no, no. I think that, I think there's a very good argument. I think that the the only person who would possibly be up there aside from from Washington is Lincoln. Uh, and I think there's a solid case to be made that Washington was a better president than Lincoln. Okay. Um, second one, favorite amendment and why? Um, well, my favorite amendment is, uh, is still, it, it's, it's hard for me to, to cut against. It's, hmm, that's, a, that's a tough one. Uh, I, I'd have to go, it's between 1st, 2nd, and 14th. Okay. Um, you know, the, the Equal Protection Clause is obviously deeply, deeply important. The First Amendment is the protection of religion and free association and freedom of speech is the closest to my heart in terms of most fundamental human rights. And the Second Amendment has to be up there because I think that in the absence of the Second Amendment, you don't get the 14th or the 1st. Amen. So these are just from these are just general questions from people. I put it out on Twitter. What's your favorite nonfiction book? Um, my favorite nonfiction book. Let's see. Wow, I have like an entire list. Uh, the, the one I always recommend uh, in terms of what people should read is Economics in One Lesson, which is a really short kind of primer on economics by Henry Hazlitt. Um, but there, there are a bunch of, my goodness, um, Ooh, I'd say the Bible. <laughs> um, That's not fiction. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, but it depends. How, it depends on your classification. Um, I uh, let's see. Uh, the Federalist Papers I love. Um, anything by Paul Johnson is great. Anything by Thomas Sowell is great. Uh, I have listed. I mean, every day on my show, I do a thing I like. So that that list is now probably hundreds of books long. Yeah, that's 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 a tough one. I'll have to I'll have to think about that one a little more. Yeah, on your things, you're like, how, just on a just on a personal question, you recom- you've recommended a load of TV shows. How do you get time? Like last week, you recommended Billions, uh, the the serial killer. I'm like, where do you get the time? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, once you have small kids, what you realize is that escaping from your small children to watch TV for ten minutes on the toilet is basically the only time that you have to enjoy your life. So. Um, yeah, that, and then also my wife gets home, and we put the kids to bed, and then we have no energy, and we just sack out on the couch and watch TV. So, um, you know, actually, even, actually, even for us. That's, that's actually a great segue to my next question. Someone said, what does your wife do for a living? <laughs> <laughs> I got that so many times. I'm like, if you don't know, uh, yeah. there's, I, I, yeah. there's not many times. Yeah, I'm sure everybody is asking facetiously. Yes, my wife is indeed a doctor. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, then last one, I don't know why this is interesting. What's your favorite pizza toppings? Oh, um, well, the, my, my pizza toppings are pretty limited um, because uh, the pizza toppings uh, cannot encompass meat for me. So um, I do like uh, I, I like peppers. I like onions. And um, let's see what else. Uh, I, I'm, pineapple. I, 
Oh, no, 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 not pineapple. <laughs> no, no, no. But no, that's terrible. Um, awesome. So last question I always ask anyone who comes on this show. Why is America exceptional in one sentence? Or why is it great? And if you can give it in one sentence to everyone that you could share with everyone. Uh, well, I mean, America is exceptional because of the principles upon which it was founded. If you don't understand those principles, you're, you're doing a great disservice to not only the founding fathers, but to the country uh, that is worth upholding and to the people who have died to protect those freedoms that, that you get to live under. Amen. And where can people find your podcast? Uh, you can go check it out at SoundCloud, iTunes, basically any, any podcast app will have it. It's, it's the top-rated conservative podcast in the country. Absolutely, and the dailywire.com. It's uh, you, you're still yep. giving out the what's that? The Tumblr with the leftist tears hot or cold. Yeah, the leftist tears <laughs> hot or cold Tumblr with the annual subscriptions. Yeah, it doesn't say liberal, it says leftist. There's a difference. There's, there is a big difference. Ben, listen, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been an absolute honor. Keep doing the. You're one of the. I'm not just saying this to you. You're one of the few people as an Irishman who looks over to the country I love so much, and I sit looking at people who get it, with the exception of you and Glenn. Um, and a couple of other people, you were in a, let's put it this way, I can count on my left hand to truly get America and who have remained consistent. You're in our prayers and um, you're in my prayers because it's, it's t- now is the time. Um, you, your country is in peril. I see you going towards socialism and it needs to stop because as, even though I'll never, may never get to be an American, that if you're not that beacon of hope, the rest of the world is living in tyranny and you're seeing that around the world. So please keep being a voice and I'll do all my can, we can to support you and, Thank you so much for your time today. I know you're so busy. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. You've got to be very careful. They can take that child any. They can take the child anyway, and that's difficult enough. I mean, look at the kid uh, from the New Mexico yeah. compound. He stole the kid there. That's hard enough. But what's in a foreign country? We've had stories over the years where people have battled for a decade to get their kid back. It takes that long sometimes. The morning blaze weekday mornings six to nine Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple On Demand On the Blaze Radio Network Thank you so much for sticking with me, America As always, I'm on Twitter uh, Freedom Disciple On Facebook, Jonathan Dunn 58 Send me a message, send me a friend request I love engaging with you, I love debating you I love hearing from you where, where we potentially disagree on issues I love... I love that um, interaction. It's it's you guys are you guys are really a great audience, and you're my family and you're my friends, and I really want you to know how much I appreciate you. I want to finish up today's show by making two very simple points. Firstly, last week I announced a new project which I'm taking part in, and I I really hope you'll consider supporting me. Um, I believe in the free market. I believe in making a great product. And I also believe in charity. Last week I announced we are doing a great product. It's a, ho- a hoodie. It comes in three colors, gray, black, and white. With a simple message. America making the impossible possible. I really, I'm really proud of that message. I don't think it's a left message or a right message. I believe it is a message that should resonate with a lot of people. 
It's a positive message. It's not a political message. And it's an, I think it's inspiring. Because America really has inspired me. And because I believe in charity as much as I believe in the free market. $15 off every hoodie will go to the Nazarene Fund with Mercury Run to help Christians. If you believe in free market or you just want a great hoodie or you want a present for someone, please consider you know checking out the site, freedomsdisciple.com slash store. Because other people have gotten in touch with me, I just launched those hoodies last week and some people said, look, I love what you're doing. I, I really want to buy stuff, but I don't wear hoodies. I've had some people say to me, I live in California. I ain't wearing a hoodie. So we actually extended the, the products that we are making available this week where we added guys' T-shirts, long T-shirts, female T-shirts, and we also added mugs. Um, different amounts will go to the charity, you know, according to the, how much profit we make. But I think the smallest amount we give to a charity is $5, and that's for the, from the mug. So we're going to be doing this. This has been, we're in the early stages of this launch. What I have hoped to do is I want to design several different messages, not political, not, you know, about the politics of the day, but about a positive message to share a positive message with as many people as possible and also raise money for great causes. Because there are many people who need money. And I believe if I give you, instead of coming to you going, hey, donate to this, donate to this, help these people out. If I can actually give you a great product that you know you like, it's good quality, has a great message that you wear or you pass on to your kids. And then they make them money. It's a win-win. So please consider checking it out. It's freedomsdisciple.com slash store. Uh, I say, this is not about making money from me. This is about raising money. And raising awareness for a great charity. And we're going to be doing more in the upcoming weeks, I hope, if you support us. I want to finish today's show with one story, which the reaction to this week really troubled me. Really, honestly, really bothered me. And that is the news of John McCain passing away. Full disclosure... I did not like John McCain. I, If you said to me, John, I want you to find me an issue that you and John McCain agreed on, I would say it would take several weeks to find one. I agreed with very little of what John McCain did or what John McCain stood for in the Senate. I have very little in common with him. I have criticized John McCain on his stances on Obamacare, his stances on McCain-Feingold, his stances on foreign policy when it came to Syria, when it came to 2008 when I was political, I was not excited about a John McCain um, candidacy, I was not happy about him been the Republican nominee I thought there were a lot better nominees without going through the history of 2008 yet again it's 10 years ago it's old news Sarah Palin helped at the time but we all know how that turned out so I don't like John McCain I've also while I've never met him I've heard a lot of stuff behind the scenes which I'm not going to share right now or I'm never going to share because it's not relevant 
That being said, we need to address one very important topic. One of the things I am most proud of in this show, there are many, but one of the things this show will always, always, always do, no matter who it pisses off, let me be frank, is salute real heroes in society. We will salute each and every week and each and every show those who serve. I saw some reactions on social media and some articles this week that had the audacity to say John McCain was not a war hero. You know, it's really tough for me to take those people. It's really tough for me when I see you sitting behind your keyboards dismissing John McCain. I've seen people say things that are really troubling. And I want to be clear here. There are some people who will say things because they thought something was wrong. Or they they just didn't know the full issue. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about those people who are questioning his service. Let me be honest with you. I've met many military people. I'm blessed to have some very close military friends. The reason I salute them is because they do something that 99% of the population wouldn't do. And that is go to hell holes around the world and risk their life and their limb for their country. And they would do it gladly. Sometimes these people do it two times, three times, four times, five times. They do it knowing if they're caught, they're going to be in a lot of trouble and put through a lot of pain. John McCain was one of those American heroes. You have to distinguish John McCain's life. I don't agree with his politics. I don't have to agree with what he did in the Senate. But none of that detracts from the fact he is a war hero. None of that detracts from the fact that he went through what can only be described as horrific torture and horrific treatments. And if we are going to turn around... And get angry about people who kneel for the flag or for the anthem. We're going to get angry at people disrespecting police officers. But yet we don't get passionate about people disrespecting John McCain's war service. Because all they see is John McCain, the senator who you know, was not a great senator. It's entirely okay to say John McCain really stunk as a senator for 30 years. But he's a war hero. John McCain risked life and limb for America. And I believe America should be eternally grateful for people like John McCain. Because it's of his actions that America is still possible.
It's because the actions of John McCain and men and women from all different backgrounds, of all different races, of all different ages, risking their lives to go overseas to fight for America that has quintessentially helped America become the nation it is today. America has seen some truly horrific things around this world. The American soldier has served in extreme difference of temperatures, extreme differences in terrain, extreme differences of ideologies and enemies. But you've always overcome. For me, I can't speak for anyone else. This show will always salute your war heroes, regardless of what they do when they come back. Their service, they did something 99% of us would not do. They did something, whether they got captured or not, they had the balls to do it. The troubling thing that I saw this week was firstly people disrespecting John McCain. The second thing is the media. You know, I know it frustrates some of you because some of you tell me how when, you know, John, you never really criticize the media. You know, you're really silent on the media at times. And some of you have said, you know, it's clear by your messages to me in the past, have, you know, kind of said, look at that as defense. I don't know what I can say about your media. You know, your media, each and every week, seems to have this new mission. This is what I think the mission statement of every media in an outlet is in America. Let's find a new way to lower the bar. Whether it's defending Antifa whether it's defending this Pope or whether it's promoting whatever crazed idea the, is popular. Your media, there is no good things I can say about them. The media, you know, it, it would take several weeks to find something I agree with John McCain on. It would probably take me several months to find something good to distinguish about your media, to put things into context. But watching and reading some of the articles, as someone who lived through the 2008 campaign and who was very vocal and active during that campaign, it's really hard to take looking at how the media act. If you remember, if you had the uh, pleasure I'm going to use and I'm using inverted commas and a lot of sarcasm of reliving through the 2008 campaign, you remember some of the stuff that the media said about John McCain. He was old. He was cranky. Can't have a an old guy like him who's a warmonger, you know, the access to the nuclear codes, the world will end tomorrow. You know, everything they say about Trump today, they said in some version to John McCain, he was sexist, he was racist, he was a home. I don't think they used the word homophobic back then. I'm not sure. But every little adjective was true back then. The media hated him. The media thought he was Satan. 
He was the 2008 version of Satan. And he must be defeated at any cost. He must be destroyed. And now in 2018 when he's dead. Well, John. Oh, John. Oh, John, we miss you. John was awesome. You know, if only we could get back to a point in time in America where John McCain was the GOP nominee. He was just awesome. The double standards and how you turn yourself into a pretzel on a daily basis in the media is beyond me. You truly have a skill. I don't know whether it's a marketable or a good skill, but you can turn on a dime. This show salutes John McCain and his service. And we send our best wishes to his family. Because regardless of who you are, where you come from, chances are 99.999% you know someone who's died of cancer. They may be close to you or they may not be. But it truly is a blight on our society. And it's one I hope we find a cure to very soon. But we remember a man who had the opportunity to leave a Vietnam torture camp because of who his father was and declined. We remember a man who, like so many others, risked it all. And we salute each and every one of you. John McCain will get all the fame and the fortune because of who he was and because of his name and because of his being a state senator. But while we remember John McCain and why we salute him, let us also remember one other very key important fact. The day John McCain died was a sad day. America lost a hero. But the sad truth is, that day, only one hero got a news story written about them. If you follow the statistics, America lost 20 other heroes that day through suicide. America must get to a point where we win real issues, where we promote real freedom. And I say we because even though I'm not an American, I join you. But America, I believe, if you believe in any type of karma or faith, one of the things you need to do is you've had a wrong written. And it's been written in your history since it's your inception. And that is the way you treat your troops. It's time to do better by your troops. 20 heroes kill themselves each and every day. And where is their new story? Where is their flag at half-mast? Where is their buildings being renamed in their honor? We should salute John McCain, but we should also salute each and every person who serves. But not only salute them, because salutes are only words. We must do better in our actions. And coming full circle from where I started, 
this whole project I'm doing with positive messages on t-shirts and hoodies to raise money. That is why we're going to do better. We're going to not only raise words and talk words and, and speak a good game, but we're also going to do it. I ask you to join me on this trip. That's freedomsdisciple.com slash store. This one was for the Nazarene Fund, but going forward, we will be raising money for other charities. And I cannot do it without you. We finish this show the way we finish each and every show, America. By saluting your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel and your vets. And never ever forget, America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, I hope you have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.